0: Welcome to the Inspired to be Authentic podcast. I am your host, Matt Lansdale. Inspired to be Authentic is a podcast where we converse with people who are living their most authentic lives. We get real with our guests and talk openly about how they live with courage to be themselves. We explore barriers they have overcome to be more authentic and aligned to themselves and their purpose. Today's episode 12 and we are joined by Dr. Rebecca Ray. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much for finding me on Instagram yeah. and having me on the podcast.
0: Yeah. So delighted to have you on today. And we're we're gonna be talking about the art of self-kindness, which is your your a book you just released, correct? Yep. Uh,
1: It was released last year. Yeah,
0: released last year. Okay. So yeah, we're Mm -hmm. going to be digging into the art of self kindness. And as my my audience knows, I'm a huge proponent of self compassion, self kindness, self love. Uh, This is the foundation of the work we do. So I'm looking very forward to picking uh, your brain today on this, but I'll, I'll share a little bit about you uh, with the guests. So Dr. Rebecca Ray is an author and clinical psychologist. Her message centers on the task of living bravely in the truth of our experiences as finders and seekers of meaning and connection. Rebecca has been a clinical psychologist for the best part of two decades and is the creator of digital courses, including Overcoming Self-Sabotage, From Paralysis to Progress and Radical Courage, Transforming Fear into Freedom. She is the author of The the Art of Self-Kindness. The Universe Listens to Brave and Be Happy, 35 Powerful Methods for Personal Growth and Well-Being. Rebecca can be found online daily, interacting with her community about finding courage and living expansive lives while going gently on ourselves. This is the reason why I reached out to you because your your message is just so congruent with my message and I feel like energetically we vibrate very, very similar energy into this world and... and um, I, I i- want to just learn a little bit more about you and what got you into this line of work
1: sure um it's a big question because is, yeah. i i my my foray into psychology was decided as a fifteen year old girl and I'm very different from that girl to the forty one year old woman i am today so <laughs> um and my work in the way I work in psychology is very different as well so I first entered psychology thinking that it would explain to me why humans do what they do. Mm -hmm. It does maybe a tiny bit, but um, there's lots that we don't understand and, you know, lots that's unexplainable or inexplicable. The way I come at things today in terms of where I'm at um, with courage and with self-compassion and... With the work that we need, we all need to do on self worth in order to be brave enough to put ourselves out into the world, is me having taken so many non linear paths to work out who I am and what I'm trying to contribute to the world. And I did that in a really um, clumsy way. So I had a foray into flying I was a pilot for a while. I then came back to psychology and practiced in as a private practice psychologist for years over a decade. And in that time I had no boundaries (laughs) and I didn't say no to my referrers at all or to my patients. And I just did way too much clinical work and ended up getting very burnt out Mm -hmm. and in the shame and guilt um, of being a psychologist that gets burnt out. I then had to come at my career to decide how do I practice the work that I love without damaging my spirit. So that's how I came here. Mm. So I guess what happened was I needed to make a decision about how I can contribute, connect, and make some kind of difference without doing clinical work because when you spend enough time betraying yourself by not listening to your intuition Mm. and by not listening to your body, when your body is screaming at you Mm -hmm. and saying, I need rest, and by not listening to your mind when your mind is saying, if you don't replenish me, I'm just going to crash. I spent enough time not listening that I ended up in a state of Self trust deficit.
0: Mm.
1: And so to come back to psychology, I almost had to, in a kind of Play Doh way, reshape my entire career to find a way that I could continue to do the work that I love while preserving and restoring my own resources. And that's when I started putting my work out into the world. I, I had a dream as a little girl that I wanted to be a writer. And I, (laughs) speaking of inauthenticity, I hid, the first time I put my work out into the world was under a brand called Happy Habits. So I hated social media. This is 2015. I didn't even have a Facebook profile. I then released this brand and completely hid behind it. Didn't even have my name on my, in my bio for like a couple of years And from that point I built a big Instagram page basically hiding and then out of nowhere I had a publisher DM me on Instagram and say, do you want to write a book? And I thought, this is bullshit, right? This is spam. I honestly thought I was being spammed. And the publisher checked out. She was real. She was actually offering me a chance to write a book. And from that point on I started to then really look at myself in the mirror and go, you know, if one of your dreams is coming true and you get a chance to harness whatever wisdom you've managed to gain so far in life and combine it with the knowledge and training of psychology to put it into a book, Mm. then let's, let's cut the hiding. Let's cut the staying small. You need to start doing this under your own name. And so that's when I started my Rebecca Ray page. And And from the last few years, it's been about me finding the voice that I truly wanted to offer the world and to continue to challenge myself in such a way as being vulnerable to show up as a human first and psychologist somewhere way down the line.
0: Um, We have such similar stories. It's uncanny. It's uh, no wonder I was uh, drawn to you like a magnet. Um, What, what, where was the the voice coming from within that was asking you to stay small? Like, what was that about?
1: It was about judgment and it was about fear. It was about who do you think you are? Mm. Who the hell do you think you are to have a presence on social media and to put your original thought out, um, and also when you attach your professional name or professional, I guess, identifier, like clinical psychologist, then there's a huge amount of ethical responsibility that comes with that. And I yeah. had I wanted to shift into a way where I spoke about psychology in laypersons' terms so that I could break through the academic layers that people often get stopped by to be able to understand themselves. And I, I don't resonate with academic language. And so what that was about for me was being so incredibly scared that number one, there wasn't a place for that. Number two, there wasn't a place for me. And number three, I'm a fragile kind of sensitive person anyway. How on earth am I going to manage my own mental health if I get attacked, If people decide to come at me because, you know, the internet is not the safest place. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't mean the safest place physically in terms of someone's going to stalk me or something. I, I mean the safest place emotionally. Yeah. And so what that w- was about was me coming from a place of self protection, but then also abandoning myself for who I am and that trust that I have a message that possibly will resonate with other people. And I honestly didn't believe that that could be um, the case. And so I actually started my Rebecca Ray page in secret. Hmm. Um, I spent a lot of time growing happy habits using growth strategies. And um, uh, then with Rebecca Ray, I did absolutely none of that. And I told nobody that I had the page and it grew by itself. And that's when I thought, oh, oh. Okay, so there are people like me out here yes. <laughs> that need to hear this information.
0: Yeah, that's powerful. Um, I have a saying that I use on the podcast: called, uh, "It's authenticity is the uh, authenticity is the expression of alignment," and uh, w- I, I'm. I'm very empathic, clairsentient. I have these abilities to be able to draw into people and I can feel people's alignment. And I, I invite those people onto the show and I, I get the sense that you're very aligned to your purpose. You're very aligned to what you do. Um, and I know there's people that are listening that they want to know, how, to, how, do I, how do I do that? How do I make that happen? Because so many people are feeling unaligned right now, especially with what's going on in, on the globe. How do people start to step into their alignment? Risk. Risk.
1: My answer to that is going to be risk. Give yourself permission and space to take the risk to fail, to be judged, to get it wrong, to stand up and try something and go, actually, that doesn't fit. I thought it was going to, but now I find out that a couple of years later it doesn't, so I need to change direction again. I've made it here by failing. I, I have literally failed my way here.
0: <laughs> Me too. Um,
1: yeah, right? And if I didn't make those failures then I I don't know that I would be so aligned Matt. Like I really feel like the alignment that I enjoy today was hard-won through mistake after mistake after mistake, but there's no other way I could have found it. Like how I I I don't know that you can necessarily know what you don't know before you know it. Yeah. And so I would say if you don't give yourself the permission f- for experience, then how do you step into your own alignment? How do you find it?
0: Yeah.
1: And I would also say please don't think that you need to have some kind of passion and purpose bullshit. You mm-hmm. don't. Mm-hmm. This. hmm this idea that there's some magical purpose or magical passion that you're missing out on that everybody else has gotten, I honestly think it gets people trapped into dark corners of their minds yeah. that makes them feel inadequate or less than because other people are following their purpose. Yeah. Your your purpose or your passion might be this for this year, but may, yeah. maybe not, you know, five years' time. I just think it's important to not get locked into that concept.
0: I agree. Yeah, fully. And I think you're right. It's always evolving, constantly. And yeah. if we we start to label things, then we start to get caught up in the mind, and we 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 trap ourselves in this idea of something that really is an illusion, right? It's there's an illusionary aspect of of finding ourselves because when we find ourselves, we're, there's more to find. It's it's just we're constantly uncovering more and more of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I totally um, agree. Yeah. So you, you have a saying in, uh, in your work, transforming fear into freedom. Is that, does that fall into this, this mentality is, you know, take the risk, let go of, you know, the fear of failure and, and that's how you find freedom.
1: Yes. And no, um, let go and that's how you, you let go of the fear. Let's rephrase that to take the fear with you. Mm. So. I, I'm a professional scaredy cat, Matt. I'm just so scared all the time. <laughs> I am just, I just live fear, but fear doesn't live me.
0: Yeah, and so I, I like that.
1: The work that I've done has been. I can be shaking in my boots, but I'm gonna do it anyway, if it aligns with my values and if it's important. That's the way it's mm-hmm. <laughs> the way I fell in love with a woman. It's the way I had a child. It's the way I've put a price on my work on the internet. And yeah. it's the way I'm, you know, trying to do the work of anti-racism. It's the way that I'm vulnerable online about being a human and having pain and suffering. All of that I do with fear. Mm. And I think if we try and Advertise this idea that we can be fearless. Fearless is one of my most hated words, fearless yeah. and hustle. No, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Um, then we're setting ourselves up for failure because, you know, the, very definition of courage is that you're overcoming some kind of fear to do that act. And so I think it's really important to understand that if you're out there watching someone do something, they're probably really scared while well, they're doing it, but they're doing it. Yeah. And that's the only difference for someone wanting to do that thing is that they actually give themselves permission to do it.
0: Yeah. my what my what One of my mantras is feel the fear and do it anyway, because we're never going to be fearless. We're always going to have yeah. some apprehension to doing things. And, um, you know, like you said, one of the biggest things for you was judgment, being worried about what other people are going to think of you. And that's a very common one for a lot of people. And what holds us back into stepping into all that we are and becoming aligned with, with our authenticity. Um, how did you overcome that voice? The voice telling you, you know, like, who are you? Who do you think you are? Cause that's, I think, I think that's the voice of shame.
1: Absolutely. Um, And as someone with a history of trauma, I'm no stranger to shame. I didn't overcome it. The voice is still there. It's just that I have a different voice that I give more energy to. So Mm. uh, let me explain this. If you can imagine that we've all got different selves within us, um, selves that are younger, selves that are wounded, selves that are parental, selves that are controlling, selves that are doing their best to self-protect. And then there's a part of you that is aware of all the other selves and that's your leadership self, the part of you that can access courage, intuition, your innate wisdom, And the part of you that acts by your values to make sure that you're aligned and that kind of acts as your lighthouse in the distance. It's that voice, that leadership voice that I try, I'm not perfect, but I try to give more energy to so that even if the fear is trying to take the stage, the leadership voice is the one that's got the microphone.
0: Oh, I like that a lot. It it almost I just like, made
1: it up. Maybe I should write that down.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, take notes, take notes. That's a good one. That's a really good one. But it's so true because it's like where in some of the work that I do with my clients, I talk about controlling your inner gaze, and that's what we're doing when we're doing that. Is where we're taking our inner gaze to the places that we want to bring energy and power to, right? So if we're drawing our inner gaze or our, our inner attention to our leadership self, what a yep. beautiful! I I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that.
1: It's amazing. Yeah.
0: So what what strategy would you say would, would, would uh, you'd suggest for people to be able to do that? How, how can we begin to start to draw our our focus and attention on, on th- those aspects of ourselves that are more empowering versus disempowering?
1: Yeah, I love that word empowerment. <clears throat> the first thing that's most important is to not to invalidate the other voices or the fearful voice, mm. because if you try to come at the fearful voice with invalidation or uh, dismissing it or just failing to give it any kind of acknowledgement, then it's only going to get louder. It's like a toddler, you know, it's just going kind to of scream at you until you pay attention. And exactly, so yeah. start with self compassion and come at that fearful place with exactly the nurturing and validation that the fearful self needs. That's why it's getting loud, is because there's some kind of wound or fear of being wounded that is occurring within you. So if you bring self compassion to that, then it's a case of reminding your fearful self that your brave self is here too. Mm. And your brave self is the one that's going to hold the hand of your fearful self and show it how to move forward. So it's allowed to have a voice, but it's not allowed to have the map. You know, it's not going to take you where you're going to go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. And how, how much, um, does allowance play into all this allowing ourselves to be the way that we are being like, cause I know that it's a fine line, right? We want to draw our attention over to the leadership self, but we also want to allow this, this person to be over here. And for, for me, I really struggled with that in throughout my whole life is finding that, that fine line between how do I do? I how do I allow myself to experience shame while also allowing myself to experience feelings of authenticity and feeling empowered and that sort of stuff? So where do we where do we um how how does allowance play into all this?
1: Let's call it acceptance. <clears throat> acceptance, so, okay. Uh, allowance is. A word that I love, but psychological acceptance is actually what you're talking about. It's the the term that we would use in psychology. Yep. Psychological acceptance means that you um, allow yourself to have whatever kind of inner experience that you're having, thoughts, feelings, body sensations, um without resistance. So you're not fighting that experience, but what psychological acceptance doesn't mean. And this is where it gets confusing because the dictionary says, if we accept something, then we must like it or want it or approve of it. But psychological acceptance doesn't mean any of those things. It simply means that you um, allow the experience to happen without fighting with it, without engaging in an internal war. Hmm. So um, then I want to, address control because as a, I'm a control freak. Okay. Nice to meet you. <laughs> My name's Rebecca. <laughs> right. Yeah. You see me, I see you. Um, so I want to talk to the control freaks within us because they're yeah. not going away. Yeah. And, it's really important to talk about what we can control. So, your internal experiences are not within your control. Instagram will try and tell you that they are by just thinking positive, you know, like that is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Just know there's pop psychology right there. It's not going to work. And mm-hmm. rather than setting you up for failure, what I want you to be able to do is to then look at what can I actually control and therefore where is the best use of my energy. You can have. Uh, unhelpful thoughts. You can have really overwhelming emotions, but what you can control is what you do. So your actions are the things that draw the line, where that line is between allowing um, and between being in alignment, that line is called action. Mm. So you have within you this experience of, I feel fearful or I feel uncomfortable or I feel shameful today, but I can still go for a walk or I can still do my business plan or I can still ring someone and tell them that I care about them. You know, like the difference is action because that's what we can directly control.
0: Yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. Um, one thing that I wanted to pick your brain on is is shame because I, a lot of the people that follow my work have followed my journey through shame and, and um, a lot of the work I do with my clients is around shame and what is the purpose of shame? I
1: don't know that it does have a purpose. <laughs> I mean, from an emotional point of view, I, in terms of the way we are in 2020, I would say that I can really only speak from a DNA point of view because the only way I can make sense of it is from a DNA point of view, and that is based on survival. So if you feel ashamed about a behavior that's perhaps threatening the clan 100,000 years ago, the clan that you're roaming the savannah with, and you do something that annoys the clan, then what that does is it potentially threatens your resources and your access to information and your access to protection. Mm. So, therefore, shame itself is a behavior guiding emotion designed to bring you back into line. And 100,000 years ago, that has a, there's, there's an actual survival mechanism to that, right? Yeah. But in 2020, guilt, guilt, there's an action element to guilt. Yeah. But shame itself, it doesn't really um, activate us, just keeps us in a hole
0: yeah I would agree with you for sure. I think, but a lot of people in, if you think about the dominator society and um, people use shame to breed conformity in my opinion. I think they use shame as a tool to try and keep people in line, like you said, um, maybe guilt isn't strong enough, maybe that's why people go into into pathologizing people into certain behaviors um, and deem them as shameful, you know like women being called sluts to you know control sexual behavior yep. um, you know, all sorts of things, men being classified as feminine and, and, yeah. and then internalizing shame around that. And um, yeah, it's it's powerful stuff. And I think, how do, how do we liberate ourselves from shame? <clears throat>
1: Connection. For me, I'm I'm talking from personal experience. And the thing that has liberated me from my own shame is... Lots of connections, not just one, and not just connection in an abstract whole. Yeah. Connection with a therapist when I actually did the trauma work, the one that said to me, It's not your fault. Yeah. And I believe you. Hmm. Um, connection with a healthy, stable, adult love. I had no idea that existed before my wife. I had no idea that relationships didn't have to be chaotic or hard.
0: Mm. <laughs> I'm not I'm not there, there yet.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> I promise you, it can just be waiting around the corner. I was not expecting her. I was looking for the right man at the time. <clears throat> but connection, what that does is it makes us feel seen, the right kind of connection. The right kind of connection makes us feel seen and understood. And when you're seen or understood, you're no longer the thing that's bringing about shame. You're you. Yeah. And to be seen as ourselves all of a sudden then means that shame shrinks. I'm not going to say it goes away completely because I think this is a journey. It's a a process of evolution, personal evolution. But I think that's where it starts, to be truly seen and accepted.
0: I I fully agree and I think um, I've practiced that throughout my life is showing up and allowing myself to be seen and I went through a period where I experienced pretty bad vulnerability hangovers where I would feel I would feel courage and I'm like yeah I'm gonna share this part of myself and I'm gonna show up and then the next day I'm laying in bed in the morning and I'm like oh my god what did I do (laughs) right How, how can we um share with the audience different strategies on how to deal with vulnerability hangovers. Cause we all feel courageous and then the yeah. next day we might not be feeling as courageous and we might regret some of the things we've said or done. So how can we overcome that?
1: Um, <laughs> Let's start with the who you share with to begin with. So in order to share, make sure that you're sharing in a safe environment and you're not necessarily under the influence. So if you're under the influence, you're going to have Dutch courage which might make the environment seem or the person seem safer yeah. than perhaps what they actually are. So it's important to make sure that um, there is a trust currency between you and the sharee. Is that a word? I like Let's that. make yeah. it a word yeah. right now. <laughs> um, But if you do have a vulnerability hangover, then again, I don't think that can be resolved just within ourselves, particularly not if you're an overthinker like me. So it's actually really helpful to have your person that you trust and run that by them the next day Mm. so that they can just knock that on the head and go, you're feeling vulnerable. Mm. The the hangover is for no reason, you know, it's fine.
0: Yeah, I like that. So it's almost like you're using a little bit more vulnerability to deal with the vulnerability hangover.
1: Yes, but with a no one safe person. With,
0: yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's good. That's really yeah. good. So, the art of self-kindness. I want to um, I want to dig into that. What 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 does self-kindness even mean to you? What, what what made you want to write a book on this?
1: Because I don't like the term self-love.
0: <laughs> Fair so, enough.
1: Um I Self-love doesn't land with me because in all the work that I've done, I don't think I've ever met a client or even just another human being that doesn't struggle with some feeling of not good enough. Yeah. And sometimes when people are deep in shame or they're deep in some kind of angst or discomfort about who they are in the world, if you ask them to love themselves, that is a leap that is just not, you know, that chasm, oh, yeah. Good luck in being able to um, overcome that. You're actually setting themselves up for something that is just seems undoable and untouchable. Yeah. So self-kindness for me, number one, implies action. Self-kindness is a verb. You know, it's something that you do, not just something that you have or something that you preach or something that you put up in a nice quote on Instagram. And so that's where I came at the art of self-kindness is how do we make our relationship with ourselves um, a dynamic interaction? Because when you're in a relationship, you've got to work on that relationship, right? We don't often think about applying those same principles to the relationship that we have with ourselves.
0: Yeah, that's really good. I like the idea because it's not possessive. Yeah, that's what you're saying, right? Like it's not possessive. Yeah. We we are always working towards it and growing through it, and it's it's action oriented.
1: Yeah, and what... it's not a destination or a state, so it's not implying that you can get to a place of self love and then you'll be there. Yeah, it's something that's <laughs> ongoing, an ongoing practice.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because I know in you know a lot of the work that you do, people do with shame and stuff. It, it's it feels so overwhelming when when we think that there's a destination that we have to arrive to. That suddenly one day we're going to have this epiphany and we're going to love ourselves. It's it's constantly um, something that we're working towards. And and the I'm not good enoughness that we all experience. What, what do you think that's about? Where do you think that comes from?
1: That's all about evolution. That's all about belonging. So, again, if we go back 100,000 years ago to the savannah when we're roaming around in tribes or clans, if you don't belong, your survival is literally on the line. Yeah. Because you need access to resources and information and protection. So if you don't contribute in the right way, if you're not measuring up by the standards of the clan, then they're either going to kick you out, in which case you'll die. You can't survive by your on your own back then, or they might kill them kill you themselves, and so we are driven for, at a DNA level to belong, and if we don't belong, then in 2020 it's not necessarily a life or death situation, yeah. but that doesn't mean that we don't then experience that drive to belong in far yeah. more subtle ways because a characteristic of a species that helps it to survive strengthens over time, it doesn't weaken. And so now it's all about, well, am I the right size? You know, Am I making enough money? Am I driving the right car? What kind of labels do I have on my clothes? Am I doing the right thing by whatever standards your community sees that right thing as?
0: Mm. Comparison seems to fall in, into a lot of what you just said. Is that tr- correct?
1: Absolutely. That's how we do it. That's the, it's almost the method by which we check our belonging. Hmm.
0: I I heard, I, I, I don't know where I picked that up, but something along the lines of self um, comparison is a form of self abandonment. Do you agree with that statement?
1: Uh, It depends how you do it. I would say 99% of the time. Yes, it is. If you're comparing for quality, like perhaps, I, I'm just trying to think in the way that I compare. So, it's actually been really helpful for me to see, for instance, how other people put courses out online, how, how people create courses because I'm a course creator now, how other people take their knowledge and use it to educate other people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would say I'm comparing for a standard or for, or for a particular style of quality. But if I then let that make that mean that I couldn't reach that standard or in some way I'm not good enough, all it's going to do is paralyze you. Yeah. So I guess it's it's about how comfortable you are with yourself in the first place in order to know how, how you can wield comparison, whether or not you can wield comparison in a safe way or not. Um, because I think... The more uncomfortable you are in your own skin, then the more dangerous comparison becomes.
0: The more comfortable you are in your own skin, the more dangerous comparison can can come?
1: Sorry, the more uncomfortable.
0: More uncomfortable. Okay, yeah. So how how does that impact our ability to become aligned or be authentic to who we are?
1: The comparison?
0: If we're always comparing ourselves to others.
1: Yeah, so... um, as you evolve personally, as you grow and you become more aligned, then at least this is what it does for me. It gives me a sense of groundedness. So I'm not as easily shaken. Yeah. If someone says that's right for them or that they want to go and do it that way or that you should marry a man and have 2.4 children and, you know, drive an SUV and have a stable nine to five job, I can easily look at that and go, good for you. If that works for you, then fantastic. But it's absolutely not the right thing for me. And I can say that with no hint of shame or guilt or anything that rocks me from my center. Good for you. So the more work you do on your own alignment, the stronger you are um, rooted in your own ground. And from then you cultivate a life that's based on your values that's where the cultivation comes from. You nurture your own garden. But if you're, still, if you're still planting that garden, then you're much more easily rocked by whatever weather's happening around you. And you don't need to go very far on social media to find something to compare to So, and I'm not saying that I'm completely immune. I have practices like turning off. I I have social media breaks when I'm just done. (laughs) (laughs) I just get social media burnt out and I'm just done. (laughs) Um, And I think it's important for everyone to have those kind of practices. But the way I come at comparison in the beginning is, well, how comfortable are you within yourself? Because if you're not comfortable there, then how do you know where your center is to be able to return to that?
0: Exactly. And I think I was just going to say that, like, when you think about embodying our truth and, bec- and 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 standing in who we are, after spending so many years of, like, say, perfectionism or shame and letting those sorts of internal dialogues guide you or misguide you, I'll say, and we become so far away from our center, and then what can we start to do to bring us more aligned to the truth of who we are or to our center? Because we might not even remember what that's like, right? Yeah. Well, how do we start to get more more, you know, guided towards our center?
1: That's a really good question. And I think it's a really important one. First, I would say if you're far enough away from center that you don't remember what it even looks like or feels like for you, then some kind of healing is likely going to be really helpful. But you mm. need to find the person that you're going to do that work with. And it's likely, if it's based in shame, if your discomfort is based in shame, then I would say that the healing you need to do probably needs to involve another safe person because shame doesn't tend to heal by itself in your own head because our heads are too good yeah. at um, wielding all the power. <laughs> yeah. So you, you need to find a, a therapist or someone who's trained in order to sit with you and walk walk you through that particular part of it. Um And then I would think after that it's about trying out what forms of alignment feel like and um, how you come back to the place that fits with you by looking for someone that lives by the values that are important to you, that represents what you want to stand for in the world and use that as a guide for how you might move forward. I'm not saying be that person i'm saying sometimes the thing that helps us to step out of shame is to find community of people that are our people Mm. and if you don't know where that community is make your own
0: yeah yeah i like that a lot how, how much of what you're talking about, because I know you're a psychologist and I know you work with people's psychology, which is you know working with their mind, their thoughts, their feelings, and, and that sort of thing. How much of the healing work in, in what you prescribe to comes from people moving further away from their psychology and closer to the, the somatic experiences of who they are? Like, hence meditation or mindfulness, uh, present moment awareness, those sorts of things. How much of that is helpful when doing some of this work?
1: I, I don't think they're separate.
0: You don't, think and I
1: separate? think if no, um, in terms of being part of a, I don't want to use the word treatment plan, but being part of a, um, writing a new chapter. I don't think you can separate out. Uh, an experience of wholeness. If you go and you try to work with someone that is only doing thought-based stuff with you, then I guarantee your shame's not going to be addressed.
0: Totally. And yeah. if you
1: go and you work with someone that just wants you to repeat the trauma over and over again without addressing the feelings that show up, I guarantee your traumas, uh, your shame's not going to be addressed. Yeah. And so this is about being able to honor the body and how trauma lives in the body and how our wounded experiences live in the body and then finding ways to reconnect so that we reconnect at a baseline in a grounded way within our body. And then we bring in the mind and our feelings as a whole level experience.
0: That's, I think that's such a beautiful answer. And um, how, how, well, first of all, I, I guess let's explore how do we create this severed, like a lot of people walk around they're so mind identified they're so always in thoughts and and they forget their body, they forget to return home to the heart experience of what it is to be a human. Why do we do that?
1: It's a big question
0: <laughs>
1: i wanna I wanna say that the answer is probably more it's probably not as complex as my brain is trying to make it right now I think it's as simple as we become socially deconstructed. So I actually think that we get pulled apart by society away from our true selves, away from our aligned selves. And we get slapped together as some kind of socially acceptable version of ourselves Mm. until we unlearn that.
0: I couldn't agree more.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I don't even know whether we know that we're like that. I certainly wouldn't have known that I was that as a teenager, but I was. I was yeah. some kind of slapped together socially, acceptable version of myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that the, the, the practice of remembrance for me has been huge. I feel like I came into this world in my authenticity, in my essence, and through domestication, I became this slapped together inauthentic version of who I thought everyone around me needed me to show up as. And then mm. my spiritual healing has been all about how can I remember and un, Well, first of all, unlearn those things and remember the truth of who I am. And a lot of that work has been done by returning to my body, which is why I asked that question um, in the first place. So how do, we, how do we share with the audience different ways that they can get out of the head and move closer into the, the body, into the somatic experience of being a human?
1: It's a good question, but I'm fascinated by the fact that I will go back to it. But I'm fascinated by the fact that it was a, a process of remembrance for you, because I honestly think it was a process of discovery for me. I don't think I was coming back to any place. I think my process of alignment has been not one of remembrance, but one of exploration and then discovery like, oh, this is how it feels to be me. Yeah. And it actually feels really good.
0: I would agree with you actually. And what I would say is I would agree with you when it comes to my psychology, but okay. my, energetically, it was a, a, a path of remembrance because I came into this life and the energy of me, the vibrancy, the radiance of being a, 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 my, a little boy is kind of what I've returned to in, in, in an energetic sense. But my psychology obviously is always shifting and changing. So, as I move towards becoming more authentic, it is a process of discovery for sure in my psychology.
1: Okay. That's yes. Okay. So I think (laughs) I might be intellectualizing it and my, so this discovery for me that I'm, that I'm landing on is my intellectual kind of unlearning and coming to a place where I can say I'm very comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. But now when you talk about it energetically, um, Do you know, have you ever heard of human design? No, I haven't. Okay. We might need to have a conversation about that when we finish recording. Otherwise it's too long, but um, yes, there's certainly, there's a part of me as a clinical psychologist that did move away from the very academic, rigid, um, evidence-based format, I guess, of clinical psychology to do my own work and working out where I sit in the world in a way that's not necessarily governed by science or not ex- not explainable by science and um it's something just occurred to me when you said that it was energy because my remembering happened when i landed in botswana in africa for the first time mm. and that was when I came home to myself when I landed on the soil in Botswana and <clears throat> saw an elephant picking an amarula off the top of an amarula tree, standing on his hind legs, wow. and energetically. That was me. I was remembering something that I can't explain, but Perhaps that was home. A
0: past life you lived in Botswana.
1: I don't know, but it was that was energy. Wow. Yeah, yeah, but in t- sorry, that was totally random tangent. <laughs> no, um, I love it. Coming back to the somatics and how we can kind of come to a place of alignment and grounding ourselves. I want to give the listeners something practical because I feel like I've been really abstract for you. Sorry. No, no, let's no. Let's no. get I practical. It's been
0: perfect. It's been exactly what needed to be. Always. Okay.
1: Excellent. Um, let's let's leave listeners with something mm. practical that they can do though. Yeah. one of my favourite exercises and something that I do almost daily, but particularly when I'm very locked in fear. Um, or fear is desperately trying to take the microphone from my leadership self is I sit down and I literally write a letter to fear. Okay. And I ask, uh, I, I nurture and I validate and then I let fear ask whatever questions or ask for whatever guidance it needs from my leadership self and I write back to fear from my leadership self.
0: Ooh, I love and that. And
1: I save, I type because i can't handwrite as fast as i can type and my mind moves quite quickly yeah and i stay there like i put on some lo-fi beats or something on spotify put my headphones on i've got noise cancelling headphones so that i can really focus and i type until i notice the shift so when i'm writing to from my leadership self to my fearful self often it will start with um, you know i want to do this i want to set up my business this way or i want to make sure that um, I'm, you know, doing whatever X goal. And then as long as I type for long enough, what happens is it changes to you. So I'm I'm actually being spoken to. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing the driving. Someone else is speaking through me. And that's when I know I've accessed my leadership self to get the answers that I need. And so much has come of those. I save them all because... I end up getting answers that I never expected, like wow, who knew it was that easy? I just needed to ask you. You know, there there was wisdom within that I just needed to access. And okay. um yeah, the answers always blow me away.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I, I also do the same thing with writing. That's that's how yeah. I heal. It's I heal through yeah. my writing. Yeah. So powerful. Yeah. And you can feel it. I didn't realize this until maybe like a year ago, but there's actually an energetic vibrational frequency that words Carry so when you're reading books and you read something and you get the chills, it's because they it's encoded with with um, energy and it's the same thing for when so like when I re- read some of your stuff on and some of your posts on uh, Instagram, I can feel the energy behind them and uh, wow, I, I feel like that's what's transforming the world is the energy behind the words, maybe not so much the words themselves. So
1: that's amazing. Thank yeah. you.
0: Yeah, I feel
1: cool. like that. My wife often talks about how we respond to music because music is literally. Violent vibration. It's literally energy. And um, I had never applied that to words before. I always thought that words were far more two-dimensional, but yeah, I love thinking of it
0: like that. Yeah. yeah. it's great. It's great. You're you're a a great writer. And uh, even just from speaking to you today, you have a very beautiful mind and you articulate yourself very well. Thank you. Mm -hmm.
1: It's not always that way.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was today. (laughs)
1: We connected on a good day.
0: (laughs) We connected on a good day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, So something fun I like to do with my guests. I do this um, with all of them. One of them is this is me tip of the week, but we did that. So letter to fear. Yep. Really cool. So the guests can, uh, or the audience can, take something away. Uh, But the other thing is, um, how much of me can I be? So these are are questions that I've compiled. um, And it's just an opportunity for the guests to share a bit about themselves um, in a vulnerable and random way. So you pick a number between one and 31. And I'll give you a question. You can uh, take a shot at it.
1: Okay, great. 28.
0: (laughs) 28. Okay. Um, What is the biggest lesson you've learned from previous relationships?
1: Uh, what emotional safety looks like and what
0: it isn't. What emotional safety looks like. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, my previous relationships with, were all with men before I met Nissa. Nissa. Just randomly showed up in my life. I, I thought I was going to be single forever, and I was at the ripe old age of thirty-three. And decided that I'd just tick things off my bucket list. If I was going to be single, no worries. So I went to Africa, came back, and decided I was going to learn piano lessons. Rang the local piano school, and she was assigned as my teacher. And I was not looking for her, and certainly wasn't looking for a woman. And what I had found in previous relationships with men, but I only know that now as a result of being in a safe relationship is that emotional safety is that you can show up as your absolute fullest version of yourself. Emotionally, spiritually, Mm. practically you can be the most relaxed version of yourself so that then you're able to access every part of you that's what emotional safety is it's so that you can be every part of you you can express every part of you and i had never had a relationship where i didn't feel that i needed to shape myself into some kind of box to be in order to feel good enough for my partner until nissa
0: yeah that's interesting I like that a lot. Um, maybe I'll end up with a woman. <laughs> who knows?
1: <laughs> well, I'm also not saying that's about men. I'm not yeah. saying that's about men. I'm saying that's who I was at that age and in those relationships with those men.
0: That's what if you were attracting. I was.
1: Yeah, that's what I was attracting, and yeah. that's also who I was being in that connection with that man. Yeah. If Nissa and I would touch wood, I hope never happens. But if we were able to separate. And if I was to be in a relationship with a man again, I imagine I would attract someone very different and actually look for different needs to be met because I now understand what emotional safety looks like. And when you get emotional safety, your potential from that place is infinite. I I wouldn't... There's no way I would have written a book, let alone three, let alone Walker working on my fourth now. There's no way I would have left psychology in clinical practice. There's no way I would have put my work out onto the internet and there's no way I would have had a child if it wasn't for her. I wasn't going to have kids. She's the one that made me feel safe enough to bring life into this world.
0: Oh, man. I can feel the love. I really can. But that's the
1: lesson, right? That's, That's when someone comes to show you that. Like, I didn't know that I didn't have emotional safety until I had it.
0: Hmm. Wow. Powerful.
1: So so don't settle, okay?
0: (laughs) No, I I, trust me. I know I've done a lot of work in the last, uh, well, specifically seven months. I've been on a journey. uh, I'm actually returning home in four days to go back to Canada. I've been living in Vietnam for seven months and um, just, yeah, it's... It's amazing what, what, you know, there, there is to learn and, and we're constantly uncovering things, but yeah, I'm, I'm ready to start to attract something really neat and really cool into my life. And I'm not, I'm not, uh, willing to, to settle for anything other than what's going to make me feel safe. That's the bit, that's such a a perfect word. I need to feel safe. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You need to feel safe and celebrated once yeah. you have emotional safety with someone who truly sees you, then you, you, they celebrate you and teach you how to celebrate yourself.
0: Mm. I like that. Um, so people that are going to be really intrigued by doing some work with you, which I feel like there's going to be some for sure, because uh, you're, you're, you're very, very interesting. And um, you know, what what does a typical session look like f- with you or how do you kind of get started if if people are interested in wanting to work with you
1: sure i don't do consultations anymore because my burnout history, (laughs) but, um, the way that people can work with me now is through my online courses. So, um, I have courses on fear and courses on overcoming self-sabotage, but I also have a whole heap of free resources. All you have to do is go to rebeccaray.com.au. Um, I try to make sure that there is access to my work for all budgets, even if you don't have a budget. So there's a stack of free resources and my books are available at all good bookstores. (laughs) Yeah. And online, if my they don't have my book, then they're not a good bookstore. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, cool. That's um, that's great. And I'll have everything attached in the show notes so people can reach out to you and uh, and get connected. And that's RebeccaRay dot com dot au because uh, yep. she's coming to us Sorry. from Australia. Yeah. Beautiful Aussies. I love you people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we love Canadians too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're very similar. I think we're
1: very similar. Yeah. Yeah. We're, you guys just have better weather. <laughs> well, possibly. I, I do have this romantic fantasy of, you know, kind of doing the Canada thing and really getting some snow and that kind of stuff. But yeah. I'd probably get there and freeze, you know.
0: Yeah. You would for sure. Yeah. If you're ever if you ever in Canada, hit me up and I'm I'm planning maybe in sometime in the next couple of years, depending on with all this COVID stuff. But I'm definitely wanting to get to Australia. It's high on my list, so I'll, uh, I'll let Absolutely. you know. Absolutely.
1: Yes. Yeah. Please. Yeah.
0: And uh, yeah, just a huge thank you um, from myself and from the guest um, for showing up and just you know shining your light with us and sharing all your knowledge and um, really appreciate it. And I'll I'll direct as many of my people to uh, to your work because I know they're going to benefit greatly from it. So.
1: Thanks, Matt. That's so nice of you. Thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Thanks for coming on.